Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. It's a podcast where we help you sort your money out. We want to keep you from making uh, some wild financial decisions, but also really point you in the right direction when it comes to managing your money well and making the right decisions. We are here to encourage you. Uh, there's a whole community on Facebook, and we're actually looking at a different platform because a few of us are over Facebook after recent events, uh, but we'll keep you in the loop on that one. But if you are new to this episode, my name's Glenn James. Uh, I'm a retired financial advisor and now a full-time podcaster. And today's episode, it's a little bit different. Uh, It's actually not for you. It is for you to show your parents, one, they might not know how to use podcasts. And it could even be grandparents for some of you. So, it really is targeted at age 55 and over some of these topics. Uh, So, show your parents, show your grandparents, show your uncles and aunts. Uh, because we will cover some questions that you put in the Facebook group from your parents. And I think you'll be able to learn from these questions and answers some of the considerations that you might have to address one day. So, joining me today, it was quite opportune because uh, Mark Bynum, who is the former president of the Association of Financial Advisors, I served as a director on the board uh, under him. And I was catching up Uh, for lunch and just a bit of a catch up with Mark. And I thought, hang on, why don't we do this uh, over 55's episode? So, Mark Bynum, thank you for joining us on My Millennial Money today. It's my pleasure, Glenn. Good to see you. So, you ready to answer some questions, Mark? Yeah, no, I'm very happy. If I can help your listeners, I'm more than pleased to, Glenn. All right, well, let's get into it. So, Mark, you've been a financial advisor for over 30 years, is that correct? That's right. And how old are you? I've just turned 60. Wow. Big 6-0, Big 6-0. And I can't think of a better person to speak to some of these issues for over 55s than someone living in the trenches of that age group right now. Yeah. Well, I think, and that's, you know, we're talking about you being a former advisor. As an advisor still, you navigate to your peers and all the problems my clients who are in their 50s and 60s are facing now, I'm facing. So, millennial children, elderly parents, yeah, so exactly the same. Yeah, wonderful. So, we'll get right into it. Alex Ty in the Facebook group says, my mum asked how to actually access super and what to do with it once you've retired. So, this is a common question mark. So, I thought I said question markers in the punctuation, but it was like, <laughs> but my my mouth was saying it right, but my mind picked it up wrong. So, Mark, this is a common question. It is. Um, I know my parents and my uncles and aunt and a lot of people, existing clients. You know, we work so hard and for so long, and a lot of people think as soon as I get to age sixty or sixty-five, I'll stop contributing to super. What happens with my super? What do we do with it? Yeah, 
you're asking the sort of the Pandora box type question because it really is, once you open this, it's just, it's ever ending. And so for the purpose of this, how to actually access Super, I think just briefly, a client, as I said, I've been doing this for over 30 years and a client, one of my very first clients um, 30 years ago did actually say it to me and it was a real light bulb moment for me and they just said, because I was doing about projections and all the mathematics and how this money will last for so on. And he actually said, Mark, you need to realise I only get one chance to retire, so you need to get this right. And I think that's a really big point. Um, a lot of you know, your millennial listeners and all that you know, may have 10, 20, 30, 40 years to retirement. So there's plenty of things they can learn and change on the way. But for people who are in their 50s and 60s, it is a really worrying thing, retirement, uh, and just even just as simple as this, you know, how to actually access Super, which is pretty straightforward in one sense in that you can just go straight to your website with your superannuation fund website and actually say you're retired and you want to start accessing your money. It nearly is as simple as that. Uh, if you think of it like another bank account, online bank account, but there's bigger things, issues to consider in that if you can access it, but do you realise you can go from accumulation which is where you're saving over the years, your super, then moving it to, well, it was always known as pension, but I think it's officially now called re retirement phase. There's no tax to pay, no tax on your earnings, no tax to on your withdrawals. And so it's the only legal tax haven in Australia. So these are the sort of things where advice is really helpful um, because people just don't know these things. Yeah, there was a question or was a comment in the group, somebody's um, parents, he said, I think it was a he, uh, that their parents retired withdrew all the super into a bank account and all of a sudden had to start paying income tax and couldn't get the pension. Now, a couple of things there, bringing money out of pension phase in superannuation out into your own name brings it online to get taxed as income. That's right. Yeah. it's The government uh, allows very few real tax incentives, but for people who are retiring, this is the number one. This yeah. is this is the number one goal for all assets, investments, bank accounts, that by the time you retire, as much of that should be under super because there's no tax. Bringing it out exactly as you said now makes it a taxable investment. Now, of course, for those listening that might be a bit more financially woke, uh, yes, there is a limit of 1.6 million. So, if you've got over 1.6 million in super, in pension phase, you will be taxed. But most of us out there... As you know, and particularly if you are in your late 50s or early 60s and you're looking to retire, there's a high chance you won't have that 1.6 million. So, as the money can stay in super as long as possible, it's better for you in terms of tax because the money is growing tax free. Yeah. And the second thing to that is a lot of couples retire. Well, they both can have 1.6 million. And it's amazing how many people we see. Uh, and yes, it's it's a luxury to have. So, you know, it's a good problem to have if you've got 1.6 million in your super. But if you do, if you are in that particular situation, it seems one person in the family has got 1.6 or 1.5 um, and the other person has 100. And, you know, so that just seems, you know, you can, the strategy would be to try and even that out. And there are ways you can do that too. Yeah. And I, I think I'll comment as well. There was another question about uh, Centrelink. Uh, in this day and age, Mark, you basically can't hide money from Centrelink in terms of your assets. So, money in super or in pension phase, and I mean, we can talk about this staggered retirement for spouses that are different ages, but strictly speaking, you know, if I was 70 years old now 
and I had $500,000 in my super, Centrelink would deem that as an asset, whether it's in super or outside of super. Yeah, they would see it as an asset and they would they do the assets and incomes test and they do the income test to see and they set a deeming rate, you know, for, for like all other assets. But the, what you don't want to have is double tax. Yes. So, you know, if you get it while it's in super, it's not earning in pension mode, it's not earning a tax and when you pull it out, it's not earning a tax. But yes, it does affect your government pension if you're on that. Um, it's just important not to be double taxed in this situation. Yep. So I just want to say loud and clear for those at the back of the room, uh, when you turn over age 60, you've got the option to keep your money, quote unquote, in super, but flick it to pension phase if you're fully retired, which means that money is growing now, not at the 15% tax rate. So earnings are growing at 0% tax That's rate. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and and there's one other really, um, to me, a really important point to this is that, um, as you said, started this with that. Well, I'm going to pull the money out. Well, what are you going to put it in? If you're just going to put it into uh, a term deposit, well, term deposits aren't, e- aren't even earning one percent, and that's taxable. Whereas probably where it was sitting in superannuation had some shares, had some property, had some cash. So a balanced or type fund, even if it's conservative, it will be earning probably more than 1%. So this is important. And this is why I want to really talk about this today. So you can share this with your grandparents. You can share this with your parents. You can share this with your uncle and aunt, or even if you're casually talking to them about stuff, once you turn age 60 and retire, once you turn age 67 and retire, at that point in time, You've still got 20 years to live or more statistically. Or more. Which means the money still needs to be working. So why would we want to instantly, oh, okay, I've stopped working, stop, move all my money to cash and then it not grow for the next 20 years? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And and this is where it gets even stranger. Uh, when my super came in, uh, the government legislated that, that once you get to a certain age and for some funds it's 50, some 50, 55 or 60, it actually goes from, say, a balance fund to a more conservative because the theory is that, well, you don't want a share market crash the day before you retire. But if it goes to a more conservative, and most people with superannuation, it is a set and forget, they're now earning a conservative interest rate for the next 20, 30 years. And we've done the numbers, just that extra 2 or 3% can make you know, another 10, 15 years difference of your money lasting. And so you really want to have, make it last as long as possible when you're retired. I think a common thing that's out there, Mark, that you might talk to uh, your clients about, and I certainly did when I had clients uh, at this pointy end of the whole working life, you hear a lot of people say, oh, I'll, I'll retire at age 67 and a half. That's when I can retire. And the response is, no, you can actually retire at whatever age you want. I can retire tomorrow, but where am I going to get my money? So the, the two differences are the Centrelink Social Security age and the superannuation, uh, preservation and condition of release age. Yeah, no, so it's absolutely set. Yes, you can retire at any time. It's just the tax effectiveness of your investments for superannuation. The government puts stipulations. Yes, as we've seen this year, you could actually, the government allowed, so last year, you, the government allowed you to access it during COVID. So there's exceptions to this, but in majority of situations or the way the legislation's written now is that, yes, once you're over 60, you can now, sorry, if you're born over after 1964, once you're 60, you can retire and get the tax effectiveness. Once you're 67, as you said, you can get the social security benefits. So, you know, there's 
It's not about when you retire, it's about the tax effectiveness of your investments at that time. Yeah, so a strategy could be if someone's got a decent chunk of super, well, we'll retire at age 60, start drawing on our own super, and what an advisor like Mark might do is set up just a weekly or a fortnightly income into someone's spending account. So the money's invested in pension phase, and we're just drip feeding a, a weekly salary like you're working, but it's coming from your own money. Deplete that out, and then at age 67, you're able to access social security benefits, then you might get a top-up from the government at that stage. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the word top-up is the way you should be thinking about it because you don't want to be thinking, well, the social security will be enough for me. There's two problems with that. Firstly, it isn't a lot of money. So, you know, you really do need to work and get your own assets and super and property up. But the second thing is, there's no guarantee the government, by the time a lot of millennials retire, will still be there, apart from disabilities, because the, the whole point of the superannuation guarantee of 9.5% going to 12% is that the government wants you to self-fund your own retirement. So, you know, they don't see the Social Security being there long term. So it's not something people should count on, but it is there at the moment. So I think a couple as a homeowner on full age pension is around $1,400 a fortnight or about yeah, 37 grand 37, a year. 37,000, yeah. So, and this is interesting, like a couple as a homeowner, you know, they could have maybe $300,000 in their super to top up the age pension or to, you know, still maintain maybe $1,000 a week. So, mm. they're receiving money each fortnight from their own money and some money each fortnight from the government. That's right. And I think um, it was one of your listeners who sent in a question about- Do you want to read it maybe? Yes. From Susie, what are some good reasons for both partners or spouses uh, not to retire at the same time? Any tips for a staggered retirement? And I just think that's that's very common. Mm. The financial side of it is, as you said, when you actually retire, um, you don't draw it all down in one go. So you draw it down weekly, fortnightly, or however you wish to do this and stagger it. Um, so the bulk of it's still earning really good interest, which is why we we're talking about the investment before, how it, how it's invested. But if you have two people and one, say, five years older and they retire now and that you start living off their super, as well as the income of the other person still working, well, it allows the person still working their super to still just keep building and building and not being touched. Um, so having that staggered there effect can definitely be uh, a real positive. But one of the things, and we'll hopefully have a chat about this, is it's not just the financial. Having someone who's now not working and th was thinking, oh, I'm going to retire, we're going to travel the world and do all these things. Well, the other person's still working. So what are they going to do with their time? So a lot of times when we see uh, people in their 50s or pre-retirees, one of the biggest issues is you need to sit down and discuss when are you retiring and what are you actually going to do? Because for some whether they're working part-time or they're not working and the other one's working full-time, they've never spent 24 hours a day with each other for an extended period of time. And that's the mental and emotional decisions and challenges that go with retirement, I think is going to be a much, much, as more and more people retire, which about roughly about 30% of Australians retired now. In Japan, it's 60% of people retired compared to the overall population. They had very big issues about people changing and stopping work and changing their whole routine. So financially, it's important to get that right. Totally agree. And super is the way. But that mental and emotional challenge is a, is a big one that needs to be discussed. I, I've And I've had this discussion with my parents over numerous years. Mm. They don't want to retire until they can get age pension. And 
to me, that's bad thinking, particularly when they've got enough in their super to live a normal life. You know, they could pull a thousand dollars a week easy. They own their home. They could easily live off twelve hundred dollars a week now from their own super savings, and then get the age pension when they turn the age pension age. So, for those, if this could be the first podcast you've listened to about money. And we would value your feedback because we'd like to do more maybe in this space for over 55s. But I think you need to get some advice and just really look at like if you hate working and you're over it and you work forever and you're like, oh, I'm 60 now and I'm over this, uh, maybe you can retire tomorrow. And maybe you can just pull off some of your own super. And by the time you get to age 67, things will work out so your quality of life won't change. And then you can get some age pension to Mm. supplement. And I think it's for a lot of people in their 30s, 40s and 50s, they're seeing, okay, there's this magic number of 65 uh, or 60 or whenever the date is. And then, you know, I retire and I'll travel the world and all this. That's not – when you actually get close to the time, in reality, people don't. If they're enjoying the work they're doing, keep on working. What you want to be able to do is be in a situation where you're working because you want to rather than because you're forced to. And and it might be, well, okay, I'm – sick of being doing this for the last 20 or 30 years, but I wanted my next challenge. And that could be going back to university. It could be learning the guitar. It could be anything mm. um, because it's not going to be three games of golf a week. That's just going – you're going to tire of that pretty quickly like the, the brochures have or walking along a beach. Um, so- yeah, why does every retirement <laughs> website have like these ultra old people in their 90s? Yeah, like- <laughs> walking along a beach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just – it just – it's – you the challenge – is what will you be your next challenge? Retirement is just the next stage of life. So you need to be prepared. You need to think about it. And it could be that you travel more, but usually, you know, what day-to-day are you going to do as your next challenge? And there's a million things out there to do. You just need to Mm. be prepared and think about it. Yeah, so to Susie's question, like I've had clients in the past where, you know, one might be 58 and one might be 60 or one might be 65 and one might be 59 or something like that. There can be sweet spots where we do some strategy. One's retired. We draw down their um, super, pump the younger spouse's super because – while they're under preservation age, that's the only free lunch you get in a household unit with Centrelink to hide the money from Centrelink at the moment. But I think there's other considerations around estate planning and whatnot. But I think over 55, it's the first check uh, for someone's age or even 55 exactly around then to really start that planning. Yeah. A 10-year run-in is usually that sweet spot we find because usually, and maybe even closer to 50, but 50 to 55, because by then you either have paid off your mortgage or it's under control. Your kids have finished school, maybe university, and but that's all under control. So definitely there is a sweet spot and you can concentrate and financially you'll be able to start really pumping money into super mm. uh, because as I said, that's where it will be tax-free. Not discounting property or, or your own home, but you know any good financial plan has a diverse range of investments or structure, but superannuation is the only tax-effective one. You know, if I was ever get to get back into financial advice and see clients, I would totally do over age 55s because- I can add, I believe, the most value in terms of strategy, like moving money here and doing this and, you know, just setting things up. And I don't know, like, do you find you can really add some serious value? Yes. And just even speaking to someone recently where they were just saying, 
they're going to downsize. And that's one thing we've really seen a lot of from uh, 2020, where people are looking for a sea change, lifestyle outside of Sydney, Brisbane or Melbourne. And for people who are retiring, well, they can see they've got this asset, they can downsize and pump the rest of that money into their super. Um, and so, but they worried, well, is this the right time to s- sell? Is this the right time to buy another place? Um, should I work for longer? That's where you need advice and get be able to do it. And there's nearly a comfort factor mm. that you've got someone else who's overseeing this, uh, who do this, who do this every day. And it was actually Eleanor Dartnell, who is a financial advisor, who is a member of the Association of Financial Advisors. We've known her for some time. I think when ScoMo was treasurer, she went to him with this idea that I've got all these clients that have these big homes and they want to downsize. Can we do anything that's an incentive to put some money aside into super? And that's when the government developed the downsizer provisions, which is basically each partner, if they've owned their home for more than 10 years and over age 65, yeah, (laughs) getting a bit grey on it, (laughs) over 65, uh, they can put $350,000 each from the sale of their home into superannuation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's an excellent thing because it's it really is. The downsizing is a phenomenon, mm. especially from the city to sea change. Um, or even, you know, you've got a five-bedroom house because you had a family. They've moved out now. Uh, why would you want five bedrooms moving, you know, mm. downsizing? So, it makes... Perfect yeah. sense. So, yeah. And I've used it a bit. Like I had a client lived up here at Mossburn, sold, I think, you know, $2 million, which was just so much money. He moved up to the North Coast, bought a house, put money in super, put money in an investment account. Like it was just, um, there's a lot that we can do, uh, but you've just got to see an advisor before you pull the trigger uh, because you've got to plan for it. We've actually got Trisha Gray. Uh, she's a new member of the Facebook group. It's got a little wave hand. So thanks for joining us. Uh, she's written... I'm a boomer and finally taking an interest in my finances. I have no mortgage. So like you were saying before, Mark, you've worked and you now own your home. She's got no debts. She earns 50 grand a year. She has about 100K in super. After maxing out my super this year, what should I do with 30K of savings if I need it in five years' times? Thanks for this opportunity for us non-millennials. So, I don't know, I could probably say a few things to Trisha. What would you say based on that? Well, if yeah. she's a boomer, as we're sort of saying a few times, you're close enough to retirement. And if you're um, 65, even if you're still working, you can still access your super. So, yes, there's things like investment bonds, uh, managed funds to try and get a bit better return than term deposits. But at the end of the day, if you still see retirement on the horizon, uh, or even moving down to part-time and you're getting close to 65 and that's within five years' time frame, which is what you say. Sort of things like it's the most tax-effective area to be, so you'd be considering super as uh, possibly the most favourable option of the different options. But at the moment with low interest rates um, and low inflation, putting in a cash, putting in the very best term deposit uh, is just not going to cut it. Um, you're going to need to try and get something that's got a bit of shares, even if you're a conservative investor, to try and get the one, two, three, four, five percent type returns. Because again, 
um, you want this money to last and get as working as hard as you can for you. The other thing too, she's saying about that she's had 100,000 super and she's after maxing out my super this year. I'm presuming she's saying 25,000 uh, concessional cap. Well, she still has 100,000 non-concessional cap, which she could. Be, this is what I was talking about if she's got this money. But yes, if you're putting it into super, it is locking it away until you do retire. So that's where have to see this five years time frame is still within retirement for her. Yeah, I, I'm looking at this and I would say, and Trisha, obviously I don't know your situation, so this is worth what you paid for it. If you're earning 50 grand a year, number one, you'd probably need around a 10 grand emergency fund. Oh, absolutely. So, yep. I'd probably- in the basics, yep. yep. Carve yep. off 10 grand and keep that online savings account. So, we've got 20 grand of your savings. Now, you've maxed out your super this year, so- you're either really good and you can live off 25 grand a year or you've had some type of extra money come in or you've taken a pay cut recently. So, we don't know the situation. We're just saying that loud and clear. There's this thing with uh, concessional super contributions where realistically, if you are earning oh, less than 48, 50 grand, it kind of, you know, if you put money to super as a concessional tax contribution, you might pay more tax overall. So, I think it could be a good time to reach out and send us a message on My Millennial Money. We can introduce you to Mark here and maybe he can have a chat with you. But I think you've realistically got 20 grand and yeah. if you were my mother and you didn't need to buy a new car tomorrow or uh, give me 10 grand or anything like that, I would, thanks for listening, mum, uh, I would look at doing a non-concessional super contribution. So, it's a, a post-tax contribution to super. So, you don't claim the contribution on tax. But it's this notion of when we turn 65 or 60 and retire, we can flick super to pension phase and then that's sitting in there tax-free. You know, we want as much money in tax-free monies as possible. But it's also your emergency fund from then on. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it's a, it's accessible and it's just a matter of, um, you know, and when Glenn's saying having an emergency account, well, that's absolutely, you need something that you've got instant access to if you need it as an emergency. But as long as you can wait four or five days, a lot of the super and all that is still a bigger emergency fund for you. So it's accessible. So your main aim is to put it into the most tax effective way for the future so that you can live off it tax-free. But also as a client, like if Trisha was in here as a client and you know I've just spent 10 grand of her money saying, well, we're carving that off as an emergency fund, I'd be asking other questions like, what are your other lifestyle goals? And it yeah. could be like, well, I, you know, I want to go to Italy in two years when it's COVID. Okay, well, how are you going to pay for that? Well, I don't know. Well, okay, well, we've pretty much just spent another 10 grand of your money. Like, so I guess what I'm saying, Mark, is we need to have these goal discussions so we don't invest money and then pull it out a week later if there's been a slight change in the market. Yeah, there's, there's two big ones out of something like this. You would want to know when she's planning to retire. So um, you can see how much, how long, how money can. Uh, be invested and work for her until she draws it down. And then how much does she need in retirement? Mm. Uh, she might say, yes, I'm really frugal. I can live off 20000 or I need 60000 Well, if it's 60000 a year and you've got 100000 super, there's a bigger conversation. So, this is a cool thing about this type of pre-retirement planning, you know, and I'll just make some stuff up about Trisha. She's a boomer. It doesn't actually have her age. So, no. I'll, I'll, let's just assume she's 55, Okay. She could be like, this is because this is what I'd be having if I was the advisor. I'd be like, look, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I love work. I'm like, well, let's just head down and just love work and keep working forevermore. And, but if someone said, oh, I'm actually over this, 
I, I don't mind it. You know, you get out of the house. I like some of the customers. I'm like, well, what about we just keep working another couple of years? And then at age 60, we'll just go back to two days a week and start supplementing our income from what you're talking about, the transition to retirement type pension. And then we just work a bit, draw some of our own money a bit. And then maybe at 65, we go on some age pension or 67 and draw our own money. So it doesn't have to be this all or nothing. That's what I'm trying to Absolutely. say. Absolutely, And that's why like any good plan, mm. uh, any good plan is going to be evolving and yep. s- circumstances change. And your situation, as I said, you know, there's people uh, 10, 15 years out, I'm definitely going to retire at 60. That is it. I'm doing it. Need to do it. And then when they're about 57, 58, they realize, actually, I don't mind this. I may not want to work as hard. Um, or I've got this other project I want to do. So yeah, it's, it's definitely any good plan will be something that evolves mm. uh, and takes into account any changing circumstances. But um, the good thing is, um, because it does actually lead into another question about- From Elena? Some, from, uh, yeah, actually, no, there was one about for someone starting again. Well, actually, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I it, it, there's always options is what yeah. I was about to say is that um, it's quite surprising. Yeah, there's lots and lots of different situations People retire in lots of different ways. And so, yeah, you've always uh, got options to dis- to see where you want to go, when you want to do it, and how much you want to live on. And that can change as well. I want to take a quick break, Mark, and we'll come back and have a chat about Elena's question, which kind of flows on from uh, Trisha's question. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, Elena asks, my parents asked what to do now they've paid off their house are maxing out super, so the same as uh, Trisha before, and they aren't ready to retire yet. Uh, probably five to 10 years for dad, uh, 10 to 15 for mum. So realistically, for the, at least the next five years, Mark, we're debt-free with presumably two cracking incomes. Uh, what's some sexy or not sexy things that we can think about doing? Yeah, well, we've discussed super enough. Uh, I think you know, that's the obvious one because that will always provide a tax-free income uh, and it's just as long as it's invested appropriately. I was just saying, this is a, a medium to long-term investment you want it to last. But, you know, you could be looking at property. Mm. Um, there's no question, well, especially right now, the, the property markets are all booming. doesn't matter where you go. It just seems they're all doing really well. But that's where the conversation would be. Do you really want to get back into debt? Yeah, because uh, um, it could be a philosophical thing that we're done yeah. with debt, can't be bothered. Yeah, exactly right. And and there's a lot of people like that, but there's a lot of people also saying, I'm still going to be working for the next 10, 5 to 10 years for dad. Well, do you need tax deductions? Mm. Um, saying that most properties are positively geared now with such in- low interest rates and um, high rental incomes, but it's still... We, when we talk about retirement, it used to always be, well, there's a superannuation question, but it's not anymore. You can have income from a range of sources. So it's, yes, you're getting the most tax effective, mm-hmm. but there's no question you can get rental income. You can get dividends from your shares. So it's a matter of looking at, there are options and it's just sort of, but definitely when they're saying, and there was another question about maxing out super, I think they're probably talking about their 25,000 limit. Yeah. Well, they have the 100,000 each non-concessional limit. Yeah. And so, you know, they could be pumping out pumping up their super. As I said, they can have up to 1.6 million each and that's what I'd be doing. And if they've got enough cash, if one of them, like dad, 
may have more money in super than mum or vice versa, then you want to have it equitable. So if you've got spare cash, you'd put it in whoever's got the lower account balance, but then also double check where it's invested to make sure it's working as hard as possible for you. Absolutely. And I will add to that, you know, if you are listening and you are over 55 and you are interested in property and you might think, well, I'm too old to get a mortgage, not necessarily true. When you go to a mortgage broker or a bank, they will assess you on the the usual things. So, have you got an income? Have you got a deposit? And like, can you repay and can you have a deposit? They're the two main things a mortgage broker looks at. As we get older, you know, over that 55, what the banks will just want to do is look at, they call it exit strategies. So, what happens in 20 years if we have to pay off the mortgage? And it could be, well, we've got 300 grand in super over here. So, we're going to use super as the exit strategy to tick the box with the bank. So, all that to say, if you are interested in property, it's never too late to have a chat about property. No, not at all. And and that's why I always like having a good mortgage broker because, you know, they, they usually can provide these same options type of thing and look at, you know, here's option one, option two, option three, and you've got Tash, who's your last question. She's exactly asking that. Yeah, well, do you want to read Tash's question? Sure. Um, Tash says, first, getting a new mortgage close to retirement, that is selling one property to move into a more retirement-friendly house, which we discussed before. How do our parents go about getting these loans so close to retirement, and is it possible? Um, And second, any tips for those older people who are wanting to start bettering their financial situation just like us. So yeah, that first one is uh, exactly as Glenn said, they're going to look at uh, what assets you have so they can, as well as the assets you're looking to buy, um, to see that you've got enough to guarantee this loan. But then the second thing is how are you going to service that loan Mm. and pay it off? And as you are close to retirement, there is a specific question where they do say, uh, when are you planning to pay off this 25-year mortgage? Is it in 10 years? Is it retirement? And they will ask those questions. So you do just have to discuss and look at that. But the one thing I would look at that is if you're doing one to the other, that's just a bridging loan. So that's far easier. And banks will look at that because they know that their loan is only going to be outstanding for six months or 12 months until- Yeah, the and there's there. security involved. And it's- exactly. Yeah, so it's that's kind of an easy one. Yeah. Or, Mark, mm. you, if you were really strategic and you really lined your ducks up, what if you could buy a place and what if you could sell your place at the same time and tweak the settlement periods so it's a simultaneous settlement? I mean, you'd have to line up some ducks. You really would. And yes, the so. planets Mercury and Venus would have to be aligned, uh, but it could be an option. Absolutely, it could be an option. And even if it's close, like one month's difference or something like that, that's, yeah, you're just trying to make it the best way possible for you to be able to go from one place to the other. Mm. And if it's if it's bridging only for a month. My um, parents, they when they kind of, I'll say downsized because they sold their house and moved further north and bought a cheaper house. So right. they downsized in property value. They bloody lived at my house for like four months. Well, you lived in their <laughs> house for a long enough time. That's true, Mark. That is true. And I didn't charge them rent. I'm yeah. a nice boy, I know. You see, this is the thing, and I really like And This is where we're seeing with... Um, our pre-retiree clients, the relationships they have with their millennial children mm. is a very different set to any previous generations. So, call in the favours. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I think that's uh, getting mortgage close to time. That's fine. Uh, a second question about tips for getting better with understanding the financial situation. And this is kind of what I'm passionate about, Mark, in terms of, you know, the, the podcast that we do is called My Millennial Money. And we're not teaching money things in a millennial way. It's more, I'm a millennial. 
I talk like a millennial, I'm using the millennial culture that I know to educate these basic principles. So, whether we're talking to uh, Gen Alphas, Gen Z, Gen X, Gen Y, Baby Boomer, or wherever else, there's no magic thing to say money's different for each generation. It's definitely not. You know, it's be intentional with your money. Live on less than what you earn. And even to the point, there's another question there from uh, Alicia, and she's talking about uh, what about uh, – it's not exactly her mum, but she's basically saying 50s and starting again for – and uh, older maybe, women homelessness. And yeah, I mean, do you want to maybe read that one? Okay. Um, from Alicia, this is explicitly from her own mum, but it's just the gist from conversations she's had with her, probably of, with friends of her mother. My mum has always been a stay-at-home mum, and my dad always was the breadwinner. She feels like she wants to leave him, but has no money or any job to fall on. How would you go about starting completely fresh in your 50s with not much work experience and no money? Also, older women homelessness isn't on the rise in Australia with an increase of over 30%. So this is when we just you're just saying about the money principles doesn't have age um, or generation mm. um, uh, specific. And this is exactly it. Someone who is in their 50s, the money principles aren't any different. It's just a more emotional, mental and emotional situation you're in. And there's a, definitely a sense of hep- uh, uh, hopelessness or and worry and concern and stress. But when you speak to someone who's in their 50s and they may have gone through a divorce or widowed, you still talk about the same things. You want to get your basics right. You mm. want to set up your emergency fund. You want to get your debt under control. You want to know where you're going to live for the next six months or that. And so getting that actually, and probably even prior to all that, the number one thing we say to people, it's not too late. Yeah. I, I like how you said that, Mark, because, you know, in, you know, the financial planning circles that we're in, you know, and we're all living longer. So everything has moved 10 years further. So you've now got... 30-year-olds still living at home with mum and dad. But on the other end of the spectrum, age 65 is no longer considered old and that 65 to 75 are now considered the lifestyle years. Yes. So, Mm. you know, to Alicia's mum, she needs to hear, number one, in her 50s, that's not old and she can still add value to society and have purpose and earn an income. And it sucks that, you know, she might, you know, and I don't, it's kind of a psychological, you know, session that she might need to have some confidence to transition. But I would just encourage her to make sure that mum has some life-giving friends in her corner, has some family and get some support through this process because it might be uh, the husband, it's an amical situation and maybe it's a discussion that, hey, we're uncoupling, you know, it's been crap for a few years, we're both over this. We need a plan that we can work together and support each other on this. So, I, I would just say, uh, number one, anything that comes out of my mouth, I'm not qualified to do with relationships and, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. But just from a practical thing, yeah. I want her to know that she can still add value and find something. Oh, absolutely. And the one of the things also is in, it just happens to be in a lot of relationships over those years – uh, and especially traditional relationships, it may be the man who's done the finances and the wife has done other things. It doesn't mean she's not smart. It doesn't mean she's she's not bright. And um, it just means that wasn't what she mm. concentrated on. She concentrated on other things for the family. So it's a matter of reskilling 
and learning, and it may feel daunting in the beginning, but it's not as if you're not smart and you can't learn this. It's just something you haven't had to do before. Yeah, friends of mine, uh, the Gleasons, they run Glee Coffee Roasters and they roast the My Millennial Coffee. Did you know i got coffee now, My Millennial I heard, Coffee? Yeah. I heard, Glenn, yes, yes. <laughs> Rumour travels fast. Anyway, so uh, the Gleason boys, like they're all over coffee. Get this, the Gleason parents over age 60 opened a drive-through cafe and coffee shop. They, like, they yep. started a business. But it's because 60, 64, 65 is not old anymore if you're active and your mind is active. That's right. It's just your next challenge. It's yep. your next stage of life. You know, what you're going to, if you're not doing your full-time work, which you've done for the last 30, 40 years, what's your new side hustle? You know, yep. you're just going to do something that's going to keep you active and motivated. It's just a new stage of your life. Yeah. But definitely divorced or widowed ladies, it is something that it really is uh, something that needs to be looked at because, and I know there are groups that are helping in this area, but it's, yeah, it's important that you're not feeling alone. Um, you are smart enough to do this and get through this. It's just important that, yep, you just learn the basics, get your savings under control, get that emergency fund, um, and just bit by bit, get your super under control. And definitely it's never too late. But also around that life-forgiving friends thing, if it smells like it's not amicable, bloody make sure you get someone to make sure that, you know, if he's got all the super, that you get your mitts on some of that as a- as a, I yep. guess, a family law asset yeah. because it's still a little bit grey from what I understand. Oh, it's not it's, automatic like you've- No, it's not automatic, but it's an asset like anything else. Yes. It used to be because super was under a trust that it was very hard to get to, but no, it's just an order to the court now. Yep. Uh, any lawyer will be able to help you with that. And if you're splitting assets, super is, a number, is just another yep. asset. And so it's quite easy to then have that transferred over. Sweet. We might finish up on one question and then can I actually use your boardroom and do a Zoom call in five minutes? Thanks, Mark. He's a nice guy, isn't he, everyone? Uh, Laura McCarty says, question from a daughter. At what age should you sign on as an enduring power of attorney uh, to your parents in relation to finances? Yeah, it's, it's an unusual question in that it's very rare that a daughter asks this for the parents. It's usually the other way around. But there's no, it's not too... There is no actual age limit as long as you're responsible. I, I just wrote ASAP. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the good thing is people think, oh, well, now I have power of attorney over my parents or something like that. Well, no, it's not actually. While your parents uh, are still cognizant, there's no problem there. It's only when if something happens, mm. if the worst happens and they do need some and they can't make a financial decision or guardianship if it's health, mm. you know, they can't make that decision, there is someone there who can help them. So it's just one of those done, set and forget, and hopefully you'll never need to use it, but it's not going to be an issue. And we recently did an estate planning uh, episode, uh, wills and power oh, okay. of attorney and all that. So go back and have a listen. So what do you do? Like, do you have an enduring power of attorney? Yes, yeah, do. And um, is, it with, is it mirrored with your wife? Or are the kids involved? Oh, so I have, there's two, one on each other yep. and then one for my parents as well. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, so, uh, and yes, it is mirrored, yeah. So, yep. and that's pretty straightforward for husband and wife just to have it mirrored on each mm. other and the same with the wills and assets. Um, but we're getting to a point being, <laughs> and I've just turned 60, um, that it's something you should be having that conversation with my adult children and, you know, for one of them. And that's interesting too, because it's not just a matter of, and it's great that um, that was just brought up Laura. By, by yeah. Laura, um, because usually if they say two children or family or three or four, there's usually one who does think about these things and yeah. the other kids are just 
I'm just not interested. So how old are your kids? Uh, 28 and about to be 23. And do you have one that would probably be more of that, I don't know, yes, way inclined? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and each parent will know, you know, whether children of that or one who are interested and one's just not interested. So mm-hmm. that's never usually a problem. If there's more and one, there is an issue, well, that's why it's ha- worth having the conversation mm-hmm. now when rather than when the problem happens. I, I always like to, and literally I've got four minutes, but um, I always like just to have a, a human element conversation with people like so thanks everyone for writing in this stuff and we'll try and do more content for over 55s in some capacity but i mean you've just turned age 60 and you can tell me edit it out if you want but talk to us about just encouraging people over age 55 with health checks because you had some pretty major surgery last year or the year before it was just before corona actually yeah yeah end of 2019 so i had heart operation yeah Knew about it for probably about six years prior to having the operation, but it's just one of those things, once you're over 50, you get something. You know, it's just going to be, uh, but the really good thing is just with the medical advances, as they get cancer, you have a heart issue, a lot of these things are recoverable Mm. uh, and just get on with life and and get to make the most out of life. So, yep, I had a heart operation. What did they do? Because I remember seeing the photos. It was fascinating. (laughs) I had a valve that basically was leaking. Yeah. when it was supposed to be going one way, it was leaking backwards, and so they had to fix fix the the flaps on that valve. Yeah. But they did, and yeah. that was it. And so back to just get on with life. And yeah. luckily for me, no medicine or any other thing. I just wow. yeah, I was just done a couple of months off. But that's the sort of thing. Those emergency you keep talking about having those emergency funds and just having two or three months. And that's really COVID showed us mm. that you know two point six million people took money out of their super, mm. uh, ten thousand over year. And then another million did the second lot. So that's a lot of people who didn't have enough money to, for their um, savings, emergency savings that they had to draw down on their super. So I think that is something, and just same for us. You know, I was off for a couple of months, had a good income protection policy and, um, and made sure, yeah, and trauma policy and, and just got through it. And mm. now I'm back to life and nothing's changed. Yeah, because I just like to use this platform as good and as a reminder to someone listening who might not usually listen to podcasts who might be over 55. If you haven't been to the doctor for a handful of years, oh, definitely. go and get a, a oh, stethoscope on your chest and a finger up your ass, as they yeah, say. Or no. was that a bit inappropriate? Oh, I don't think, I think probably your audience is okay, are used to you, Glenn. So they're not my fine. audience, they're all their parents. <laughs> oh, they're introducing you now. No, oh. it's just one of those things. And men are worse than others. Yeah. Men, men won't talk to her about their friends, you know, I find it very difficult to talk to my peers about it. Yeah. Um, whereas women just find that far more casual to do those and encourage each other to go get those checkups and support them, and support each other. Guys are getting better, and I mm. definitely know your generation are far, far better than our generation, but it is something, yeah, you still need to go get it done. You want yeah. to be here as long as possible. I do. Um, and have Because you can have off. all the money in the world and oh. planning for it, but if you have a medical event that a general practice checkup can pick up, well, it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've got to go, but Mark, you're just about to release in the coming weeks, and we'll put a link in the show notes, uh, a book. Tell us about the book, which is really such a coincidence that you're uh, publishing a book when, you know, I organized just to have a chat on the podcast. So, that's amazing. Yeah, um, it's a matter of that. I found from my own situation, having adult children and elderly parents, that really there wasn't a handbook for this. Once you got to 50, got to 60, there was just no one who told you, yes, you're trying to get your own finances and career and get enough for retirement, but then you're dealing with aged care homes and state planning and then you have children who want to try and get into their own properties or not have too much debt and all this. And I just thought, 
Now, it'd be great to have a handbook. Uh, not everyone's going to go see an advisor, so it'd be good to have something that's just basically the A to, a to Z of um, finances and money, answer all those questions, and yeah, um, but it also helps, gives a bit of an insight to what it would be like if you do go see an advisor, because most people do sort of say, well, you know, once I win lotto, I'll go see an advisor, whereas no, it's advisors are there to help you get to that money, get to that million dollars or how much ever you need and help you set goals and be that financial coach that we all need. So, the name of the book? The Money Sandwich. The Money Sandwich. So, check it out as soon as it goes live because this episode is going up next Tuesday. Okay. But um, we'll put a link. Is the website up yet? No, that'll be following a couple of weeks later. Yeah. So, so we'll we'll keep you updated in the Facebook group um, or if you're listening to this and- just remember Mark's book. Just flick us a message, and we'll um, we'll, we'll get you the details. But uh, it's certainly, yeah, it's a good book for anyone in that sandwich generation, probably over fifty-five to um, to get stuck in. That was one of the things, like um, that Tash said. Any tips for the older uh, people who are wanting to start bettering their finances? Yeah, it, it's it's. I was yeah, as I said to start this. I was told 30 years ago, and funny enough, they're still alive. They're in their 90s now, those clients who just said, I only get one chance at retirement, mm. and you just, you know, they've got to get it right. So um, so anything that I can do that can help or they can learn they, from they, this book. They do all right having an old Marky Mark in their corner. Mate, they, they got annuities <laughs> when interest rates were 15%. Oh, what? <laughs> and they're probably hidden from Centrelink as well. <laughs> Back it's in tax the... effective to Centrelink. Oh, anyway. sorry. So yeah. Tax effective. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, no, no, it was, it was, uh, oh, I get a Christmas card still every year. Yeah, there. Uh, well, Mark Bynum, and that's Mark with the C, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on My Millennial Money today. And thank you for taking me through some, and my baptism there. Of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It. See you later. Bye bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.